Good morning. I'm going to be reading this morning from the book of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. If you would like to join me in your pew Bible, it's on page 1,641. The Road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And what more is, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going to keep going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, and saying, It's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke bread. Thank you, Mrs. Narmala. If somebody asked you that one question, if you were one of the disciples, 
that day, post Good Friday and Easter Sunday, what would you have done? We are living in a society right now where uh, we don't believe much of the news that uh, are being given to us. They call it fake news. So a lot of people are, depending on one's personality, you say, I would believe it when I see it. Yes? Well, that's what Thomas said, but we keep calling him the doubting Thomas. How many of you believe something that is told to you at face value the first time you hear the story? Honest answer. Nobody? Oh boy, I have some work to do. So you don't believe anything that you watch on TV, on the news, or none of that stuff? Little bit, at least. Boy, we are we are in trouble. What does that say about our society? That we don't even believe what we hear. Have we basically become a very cynical people? I don't know. We'll we'll find out. I'm going to leave that question for most of this morning's message, and then hopefully toward the end we will come up with uh, some encouraging words that we can all go home with. Uh, would you bow with me? Lord, I commit myself and my words to you, and, the mor- and may the words and meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, and all God's people said, Amen. As I was saying to Pastor Paul this morning, that... Uh, I had committed to doing four Sundays of uh, sermons while Pastor Gary was gone. And it was uh, my job that uh, I was to finish two Sundays ago on Palm Sunday. So I had worked all of that. And then, uh, well, what do you know? Positive, they say. Do you know why they use the positive word for something that is not good? (laughs) I wondered about that. Why don't they say if, if you are bad, then you're negative? that if you actually have the COVID. But I think there's some psychological message in there. But um, see, I don't believe what they tell me. See? (laughs) So we tested ourselves, and then uh, I don't know how positive those tests are, but they kept on coming positive, positive. So we felt good that we are positive people. And finally, they said, you're now no longer positive, you're negative. So we felt good about that, too. So then this morning, I'm going to be concluding in a series that we have been looking at, From Temptation to Triumph. And this morning, we want to look at the concept of being tempted to doubt. We have essentially become a cynical Doubting people because of the things that are happening in the world, in our society. Over the last uh, few weeks, I have been uh, listening and watching to some of the situation in Ukraine and Russia. 
and I would watch one particular clip or video clip of a news item that is happening in Ukraine and Russia, and then I watch another clip, then I kind of wondered, is this the same story that they're talking about? Then I started watching less and less and less because I don't know what is true, other than many people are dying and cities are being destroyed because of war. And throughout history, each time there has been war, nothing good has come out of it. That much, I believe. I would suggest that most of us, if not all of us, are rather familiar with this concept of doubt. Do we not? I think it could be anything. It could be doubts in our relationships. It could be doubts in terms of what we are doing. It could be doubts in terms of uh, where we are going. I've done that. Before the GPS, just said, well, even with the GPS, just, you really need a GPS to really get messed up in a, in a strange town. But my wife, she's very good with her sense of direction. Me, not as, as good. So sometimes she questions the GPS, Michelle, too. Says, no, she's telling you the wrong thing. So follow me, she says. Grudgingly, I do follow her sometimes. So a rhetorical question that I put in front of you. I have often wondered about in the context of the Good Friday and Easter events of 2,000 years ago, what would my mental and emotional state might have been if I was one of the remaining 11 disciples or one of the ardent followers of Jesus at that time? I asked myself this question, would I be in that closed room with the other disciples, afraid of what might happen to me? Hindsight being 2020, actually it's not, because the world keeps repeating the same mistakes again and again and again. The concept of hindsight is that you have had this hindsight and therefore you do not make the same mistake again. Isn't that what hindsight is supposed to be? But we keep making the same mistakes again and again, even in our own personal lives. Therefore, we don't really believe in hindsight either. Some of you are going, you're not, you're starting on a very negative note, but I got negative just, you know, 10 days ago, so I'm feeling good about it. It's easy to question how Jesus' disciples could have doubted him so much after having been with him for over three years and having witnessed so many wonderful things that Jesus had done. Yes? Were they not listening? Communications process continues to teach us that we listen less and we talk more. It is said that even as people are telling us something about a particular story about their life or something else, we are already formulating our own answer or our own experience that one-ups what the other person is sharing with us. Maybe you are not like that, but it's a process. Did they not understand 
what Jesus was doing, who he was? Obviously not. While Judas, Peter, and Thomas get the brunt of theological scrutiny, the others were in the same boat, except they were quiet. They didn't say much. They just kind of followed whatever Peter and some of the leaders did. I had wondered whether Judas, having been with Jesus and being the finance minister, the treasurer of the twelve, if he had become impatient with Jesus, if you are really the Messiah that we have been waiting for, I'm going to push you. I'm going to force you to show yourself and nobody has the power to take your life from you. Didn't Jesus himself say that? I lay down my life by myself and I take it up by myself. Nobody has the authority to take it from me. So Judas was listening. So maybe he, he pushed Jesus to usher in the kingdom the way the Jewish people were expecting a mighty warrior ruler under whom all of them would be the VIPs ruling. That this Jesus would confront the oppressors of the day, the Roman Empire, the mighty Roman Empire. And then finally, they could live happily ever after. We pick up the story in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus. As we were watching the service last Sunday morning, I will connect a little bit to what Pastor Paul was saying. He is alive, so what, he asked. Is that what you asked, Pastor Paul? So hopefully uh, some of the things that I'm going to share with you from this particular text is it's not so much so what, it's a continuation of the thought process, now what? Not necessarily 2,000 years ago, now what today for the church at Stanley Park Baptist Church? I forget Stanley Park Baptist Church. Now what to each one of us as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we live our lives in the resurrection? Because ultimately, that is the fundamental question that each believer or each disciple of Jesus Christ ought to ask herself or himself. Because outside of that, there is no particular reason for all of you to be found here wearing masks on a Sunday morning. You could have had a brunch later on. You could have slept in. Yes? But you are here because there's something that has spoken to each one of our hearts as to who we are in the resurrection. Therefore, we ought to ask that question, now what? It's a fascinating story. It's the first time I'm preaching this type of a sermon on this one. I often used it as more of an encouraging one but here we have two of the followers of Jesus, rather close followers of Jesus. Historical records in some theologians that have done the research show that Clophus or Cleophas was the brother 
of Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Some question that, but it makes sense that he was so close to the 11 and knew so many of the close followers of Jesus Christ. What we have is a lot of D words in this story. Disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, discouragement, despair, and death. All of these words sum up how Cleophas and his travel companion were feeling as they walked the road toward Emmaus. Seven miles from Jerusalem. That's a long walk. Not seven kilometers, seven miles. So as they're walking, all of a sudden, some amazing transformation, fantastic conversation happens. They had left the dejected and confused band of disciples who were afraid and bewildered over what had happened to Jesus on Good Friday. Were they mistaken about this rabbi named Jesus? The two men, as they traveled along, were also sad and disillusioned. And they were seemed to be having some animated conversation between them. The rabbi they had loved and followed had been horribly put to death, a cruel and degrading death on a cross. Jesus had been made a public spectacle exposed to the jeers of all who passed by. Only a week before, their hopes had risen to fever pitch when the excited crowds welcomed their master, waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna. But now, now what? What do you do now? When you plan on something major about your entire life and everything falls apart, what do you do? You, have to, you haven't thought about what next. Jesus lay dead in a sealed tomb, so they thought. Their hopes were dashed. The dream was over. Despair and doubts have taken over their delight. Notice the tense in the language. We will continue to see it until later on in the sermon. Everything is in the past tense. It's over. They were dreaming, they were hoping, they were expecting this Rabbi Jesus to be the Messiah that they were looking for. After all, he had done some amazing things. He healed the people. He turned, uh, you know, water into the best wine in town. And he had also raised the dead. And he has healed so many people. It must be him. It must be him. Even the report of the women from Christ's tomb was empty. That Christ's tomb was empty didn't raise their spirits. They didn't believe. It only confused them even more, the two followers walking the road to Emmaus, or rather I should say the two ex-followers 
walking the road to Emmaus summed up the situation when they said, we had hoped. We? Not we are hoping. We had hoped that this was the one. We had hoped that he would be the one who was going to set Israel free. We had hoped, Cleophas and his friend had said, essentially they were saying, we don't hope anymore. Would that logic follow? If you had hoped and your hopes are dashed and your dreams are dashed and they are no more and you are despaired, you are doubting and dejected and disappointed, would you say the same thing? about something that happened in your life. I was hoping that I would get that job, but I didn't get it. Basically saying that, no, I lost hope. We had high hopes for the future, but now those hopes are gone, and all we have left is disappointment and doubt. Can you identify with the feelings of these two disciples in any way? For each of us, the cause of feeling down might be different, but it would be a rare person indeed who could claim that they were not affected by any of those D words, disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, discouragement, depression, or despair. Interesting twist in the story. As the two men walked along, a stranger joined them. Now, I don't know how many people, how many of you have traveled in uh, uh, tropical climates uh, where some of the countries are not as developed as perhaps what we have, and people don't walk as much, particularly because of the climate. But walking along the pathway, this is not even called a road, actually. It was a pathway. People, wherever people walked, it became sort of a trail. I remember very clearly when I went to my father's village. Uh, from my father's village to the next village was about five kilometers. People often walked. And total strangers would join along and then they say, where are you going? They just ask you. And then you start a conversation. So it was not unusual for Jesus to come along and join these two disciples walking toward Emmaus and starting a conversation. This was going to be the most significant walk in their whole lives. Interesting question that Jesus asked. The stranger asked them what they were discussing. Notice, if you already think that you know what somebody is saying, the conversation usually ends quickly. But if you ask a leading question like what Jesus is asking... There's openness for dialogue, openness for listening. Listen to their surprise at the question. They stood still with sad faces. It's like somebody came in from somewhere where there's no COVID positive or negative, whatever that is, and then looked at all of us wearing masks at the height of the mask season and said, why are you wearing a mask? And you kind of go, what are you? Are you like some 
come from some other planet that you don't know what's happening? We would be somewhat surprised. And we would kind of look at that person like, where are you coming from? Don't you know? It seems to be the reaction from these two disciples. They stood still with sad faces. One of them named Cleophas asked him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have been happening there these last few days? Note that Jesus doesn't back off. He says, what things? (laughs) What things? No, I don't. He doesn't say that. What things? And so they poured out their hearts to someone who is a stranger that they do not know, who seemed simply willing to listen. Have you found that in your life at some time? People, once they know, they sense that you are a good listener and that somehow that you are not going to be sharing that story all over the place, they open up to you. They trust you. There's something happening here. The stranger simply provides a listening ear, and as the two men talk of their misery and disappointment, the stranger simply walks along with them. Of course, we know from the scriptures who that stranger was. It was Jesus Christ himself. Let's get away from that for a moment. Isn't that a great picture? Jesus walking along the road with his defeated and confused disciples sharing their troubles. Suddenly this 2,000-year-old story is brought into the present when disappointment, doubt, disillusionment, defeat, discouragement, and despair fill our lives. Jesus is the stranger walking alongside us if we allow him. And if we are willing to hear his voice revealing himself to us, is that the place that we go to first? And as Cleophas and his travel companion talked about the cross, their despair and sorrow, Jesus reassured them and helped them. He pointed them to what God says in the Bible. He doesn't say, well, actually, according to human psychology, my dear friends, the way this is supposed to happen is he didn't give them a lecture. He didn't say, snap out of it. It's done now. It's over with. It's the third day. Okay, you thought this was him, but he was not him. No. Jesus explained to them, Dr. Luke tells us, Jesus explained to them what was said about himself What was said about himself in all the scriptures, beginning with the books of Moses and the writings of all the prophets? Long sermon, I think. What do you think, Paul? A couple of hours? Yeah, at at least a couple of hours. But he must have been a very good storyteller because these two disciples were just glued to what Jesus was telling them. Jesus must have given the Emmaus 
travelers the best ever lesson on the Old Testament, reminding them how sin came into the world through the disobedience of Adam and Eve and how the prophets foreshadowed a Savior who would be obedient even to the point of death. Jesus basically gave a reader's digest of God's amazing plan to save humanity from their certain destruction for eternity. No doubt, he would have referred to Isaiah's description of the suffering servant of God in Isaiah 53, who was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. It's not that these two disciples hadn't read their scriptures, but that their understanding was clouded by the idea that the Messiah would come with power and might, defeat their oppressors and rule over them. The two-hour walk to Emmaus must have seemed like five minutes. The two disciples could feel the doubts and sorrow they felt in their hearts gradually change into understanding and hope as the stranger explained that Jesus' death was a part of God's great plan of salvation for humanity. Even more so, Jesus' resurrection. Jesus still points us to God's word of promise in the Bible that tells us again and again that we are God's dearly beloved children bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 speaks to that. And he will stand by us through our challenges, not necessarily remove all our challenges, but give us the strength to go on for another day, another week, another month, another year, for the remainder of our lives on this earth. As Psalm 30 says, he turns our despair into hope and our mourning into dancing. The two disciples asked the stranger to stop with them for the night And at the evening meal, he took bread and said the blessing. Then he broke the bread and gave it to them suddenly. Suddenly, it dawned on them who the stranger was. I found it rather interesting as I studied this text that as long as the two disciples walking along this long journey Their hope was gone. They thought the story was done. They were not really hoping for anything better. Jesus simply kept telling them about the historical and the prophetic background of what was to be. But when they had stayed for the night and they were having a meal together, Jesus took the bread when he broke it and gave it to them their eyes were opened. It was their master raised from the dead. Jesus himself had ministered to them in their sadness, in their doubt, in their despair, in their disillusionment. Now they knew why a change had come over them as they walked along the road. They now knew why their hearts of despair had been changed to hearts filled with hope and renewed faith. Jesus had revealed himself to them in his word, and through the sacrament. I can imagine Cleophas and his friend 
standing in amazement, perhaps embracing in great joys, asking each other, wasn't it like a fire burning in us when he talked to us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Their world had come back together. They had experienced something of the grace of God because of his love for his defeated disciples. Jesus came alongside them graciously and met them on the road to Emmaus. We all have our roads to Emmaus. And graciously, Jesus wants to come alongside us and clear the fog of despair and doubt, confusion. He showed to them the heart of God and his plan of salvation, and finally he revealed himself to them. He was alive. He was alive, risen from the dead. That's what it is. That's what it is for these two disciples, but it is for the church of Jesus Christ throughout all ages. That's what it is. At the moment the stranger reveals who he was, he vanishes from their sight, but he's not gone. He continues to do such miracles in the lives of many people around the world, even today. His Holy Spirit continues to reveal himself to many people who absolutely have never heard the name of Jesus in many parts of the world today. Bringing them and their hearts are burning and longing to know who this risen Christ is. I get stories of this. I'm encouraged each week from Thailand and India with the mission that we're working. How people that have never heard the name of Jesus come and when they listen to and when they're prayed upon that the Holy Spirit would completely transform their lives. The question for us is, now what? Are our lives transformed enough that we recognize that he is risen and that we are living in the resurrection. This is the truth and meaning of Christ's resurrection that enables us to see, to see that the risen Lord gives hope and joy when all we see is doubt and despair. It enables us to see the world not as a place of death, decay, doubt, and defeat, but as a place waiting, groaning toward God's final victory. Things have happened incredibly quickly for these disciples. But one crucial change has occurred. The despair and confusion have lifted and is replaced with incredible hope. And as Pastor Joed was saying, it's not just about Easter Sunday that we sing these songs. These are songs to be sung and to be worshipped every day of our lives. There's suddenly something to work for and to live for. The community of Jesus' followers now have a mission and will soon receive the power from on high to achieve that mission. And the foundation of that mission is faith in the power of God through the living, resurrected Jesus Christ. 
The experience of the first disciples on the Emmaus Road being lifted out of despair and doubt into a place of joy, confidence, wholeness, and understanding through their encounter with the living Jesus shows that these indeed are the channels by which God's grace and the love and companionship of the risen Jesus come into our lives. As I started out last Sunday, Pastor Paul asked a rhetorical question, so what? I just wanted to be sure. So last night I actually went back to the YouTube and then I watched part of your message. I said, yes, that's what he said. I heard it right. Let me continue with that thought and conclude. Now what? With these five thoughts, not five sermons, five thoughts. Post-resurrection, Jesus didn't leave the disciples alone. He stayed for over 40 days on earth and showed himself to 500 plus people. Historical records of Josephus and others of the day who were not followers of Jesus would attest to that fact and that truth. He eased his followers' doubt. He just didn't disappear out of sight after the resurrection. He showed himself, and this was one of the first showings that he does with these two followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He gave them their mission even though they were ready to get back to their fishing nets, Jesus said, I have a different job for you, to be fishers of men. Post-resurrection, Jesus empowered. No, he modeled. He modeled community. He broke bread with the disciples. He had breakfast on the beach with the disciples. He had conversations along the journey and he explained the plan of salvation. Post-resurrection, Jesus cleared their doubts. He was patient and gracious. He encouraged them in their uncertainty. He consoled the grieving, he spoke words of life and peace. Post-resurrection, Jesus restored their confidence. They were defeated people, hopeless, wondering what to do next. He restored Peter's identity in Jesus once again. He didn't come to him and said, na, 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 na. I told you you were going to deny me. You talked big, didn't you? Where are you now? No. He didn't come to Thomas and question his belief, even though he did say that blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. But I am so glad for Thomas's life, and I am so glad that he actually asked that question. Because if you read the entirety of the Gospels, there is one thing that you will find is the one complete and wholesome testimony that comes from only one disciple, and that is Thomas. Once he does see Jesus for who he is, what are his words? 
Yeah, you're on the right track. Say it loud. My Lord and my God. Do you find that anywhere else? Any of the disciples saying that? Yeah, Peter kind of says, yeah, you are the son of God, son of man, those kinds of things. But Thomas, the supposedly doubting Thomas, gives the most complete and wholesome testimony of who this Jesus is. My Lord and my God. Is there anything left? I don't think so. And he gave them their mission. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, baptizing people who will repent of their sin and ask for forgiveness in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I will be with you always. Post-resurrection, Jesus empowered his disciples. He breathed the Holy Spirit on them. He just didn't leave them alone without any support. He gave them a clear mandate, go. Now, most of the time, throughout history, church has interpreted go to mean you have to go to India or Africa or some other place. No, go in your neighborhood. Go in your own city. Go in your own family. Go in your own workplace. Go in your own relationships. And be and live the resurrected life that Jesus had given to us. And today, he gives us the same mandate and mission. And the most wonderful thing about all of this is, as he says to the disciples in Matthew, he does say to us, he promises to be with each one of us each day of our lives. Still tempted to doubt? Let's live in the resurrection. Amen. As we uh, respond to the message, I would ask that you would stand, if you're able, as we sing this final song. Let's uh, remember the faithfulness of God, and may that um, strengthen our confidence in Him.
into the week, I want uh, us to go with these powerful words from Romans chapter 16, starting at verse 25. Romans 16, starting at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God so that all nations might believe and obey him to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Go in peace.